Hello, hello, everyone. We are on LinkedIn Live here. My name is Dr. Michelle Rosen, and today I have three wonderful guests with me, a treat to all of us. Uh, we're going to be talking about shifting talent trends from leaders' perspectives. I can't think of a more important and relevant topic for leaders these days, so we have a lot to talk about and cover. Um, I'm so, so happy to have with me Shavit Barnahum, who is the MD Global Talent Strategy and Employee Experience at Moody's Corp. So welcome, Shavit. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. And I have Ria Rossini Nichols, who is the Head of Talent Learning and Development at Wells Fargo. Welcome, Ria. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I have Anthony Marino, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources at Pfizer. At Pfizer. Welcome, Tony. Great to be here. Thank you. So glad to have all of you. And, you know, this is um, also a message to anybody who is joining us, anybody who is with us, please use the chat box. We want you in the discussion. We want to hear what you have to say and we want to hear your questions. So, um, so excited to have all of you. Shifting talent trends. Is it, did anything not shift in the last two and a half years? I mean, is there anything that just stayed? I don't know about that, but um, we're going to talk about a number of topics when it comes to shifting talent trends. The first one that I want to talk to all of you about is the great resignation. And um, so much has happened with the great resignation. So many people um, changed their jobs, left their jobs. Um, I'm going to start with you, Shavit. Um, if you were to define the three um, main causes for the great resignation, what would you say that they are? So um, thanks, it's a great question. And first of all, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and thank you for doing this because I think there are so many different things going on um, in the talent space right now. And the I think first and foremost is that change is an even greater constant than it was before. Um, I think what uh, the way in which I would define it is that first of all, and you know, I, I, I have a pet peeve of calling it like the great resignation, because I think one, it gives credence to a number of things that maybe are, that, that like encourages people to go out and look, but I think it's really like a, a time that people considered it the great reconsideration. So I think it gave people time to pause and think, is this connected to my purpose? Is my job giving me true meaning? And that was one of the things that people really started to consider and places where they felt like, their well-being wasn't as nurtured or, or they weren't thriving at work, where they felt like maybe they weren't as connected to purpose, where the people were really reconsidering what their um, what their North Star was and, and who they were and who they wanted to be and, and shifting their perspective about what's important in their life and how they wanted to spend their time. I think that this time really gave people pause and they started to ask themselves that question. And many people, and I think compensation was part of it. And so one of the things we're seeing right now is that people that really left purely for extrinsic motivators, so things around money or something else, uh, are starting to come back to the places because they're finding that the culture that they went to for the money or for whatever they were thinking they were going to get isn't exactly also where they want to be aligned. But I think people who left for intrinsic motivating reasons, as it relates to purpose and meaning or perspective, are, are finding that they made better choices about you know how and, and, and how they work, how they live their life, and how they integrate their work and their lives together. 
So true. Um, Rhea, what, what has been your experience with the great resignation? What did you see around you in the workplace uh, when it comes to what should we call the great reconsideration? Yeah. So, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I had the opportunity to be an executive on loan at our at Central Piedmont Community College on behalf of Bank of America, who was my previous employer. And everything that Shavit just said, it was so it was is so relevant, even for myself personally. But what we're finding is these that individuals are asking questions around, um, you know, whether it was at the college or at a corporation, like, can I be have more flexibility with my family? Can and, and family is not just kids, right? I, I have employees who have elderly parents who they're saying, or they've chosen to move closer to their parents because they couldn't drive down the street and see their parents and they had transferred for jobs. And so I think that it's easy to say flexibility, but I don't know that it's flexibility just about not coming to the office, but having flexibility to meet the needs of their life and not trying to fit their life into their job or their work. And so it is this it, 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 intrinsic value, I think, is really good to be to say. But it's also, you know, uh, find organizations having to take a step back and say, what can we do? Because, I mean, we, there are some some common elements of organizations. And I think a lot of co big companies feel like, hey, being in the office is really important. When I was at the college, it's a college. Like you kind of have to be there for the kids to go to college because there's a lot of kids who really struggled with not not being on campus or being. You know, I have one child who is a college age student who did really well with the remote, and I have one who has had a lot of emotional issues, and then that feeds over into our employees. And so I think it's the organization having to take a look at the whole person now in a way we didn't before. And it's not just you have a benefits package, you do mental health, you do have a gym that you can go to. It's about the whole thing. And um, I tried to say with the team I lead, work for your day. So if you know we're all good professionals, can you work for your day? And what does that look like? And if that means being in another city for a week or two, but you're still delivering your job. So we have to get really clear on what does delivery look like in order to meet our employees' needs. So that to me is what I would just to add on that. I don't think it's just companies. I think it's nonprofits. I think it's students as they're thinking about coming into the workforce because uh, the the what what we've gone through for the last two years, people are making different choices. It's so true. And um, just to build on what you're saying, Ria, in terms of having to adjust as leaders to what we do differently. And, and Tony, you and I have had these conversations, you know, years ago when we talked about leadership and soft skills. And I keep thinking about that in the context of the new reality. And so building on what, what Rhea said, what, what do leaders then need to do differently to keep their best employees? Yeah, you know, we um, have to realize that, you know, in the midst of all of these greats, the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great retirement, in fact, you know, more baby boomers retired in the last two years than in any other time. And, um, you know, the demographics have really changed and, you know, baby boomers who got a taste of being home for two, two and a half years, many decided not to come back. So look, in the midst of all of these greats, um, you know, we have to do a great job of re-recruiting every member of our team. And, you know, the other great is we have to be much greater and better leaders. And, um, you know, we talked about how for so many years, you know, leaders could get away with just being high IQ leaders. Uh, but today, you know, they're going to have to have equal measure of EQ uh, because so much of re-recruiting really is around care, um, interest, empathy, respect, and, uh, you know, getting people to feel good about, you know, being uh, 
uh, back and, and, you know, being part of, of the organization again is going to require those types of skills for sure. I would also say, you know, for uh, HR teammates who are listening in, uh, clearly there's increased demand for higher skills, you know, technical skills and digital skills for sure. So I think we got to be pretty smart. Uh, we need to know that the market has moved dramatically in those areas and making smart comp adjustments, you know, in these job groups that we know are in high demand is, is going to be important. Uh, our board, in fact, said, hey, why don't you identify, you know, the people that are really in demand and why don't you think about a special equity grant for them? And, you know, never before have I had a board uh, of a comp committee say you should spend more money and make sure you get uh, a proactive measure out there, you know, into the workforce in those high demand areas. And and what have you, um, beyond that um, incentive, what have you done that worked for you, Tony, on a day-to-day -day basis to keep your best employees? Look, I, I think uh, flexibility, I know we're going to get there, right? Um, of course. <laughs> everybody wants to talk about flexibility in every company. You know, it's real. You, you know, hybrid work is here to stay for sure. Um, it's not a panacea, but if you don't have an approach uh, to flexibility, uh, you know, I think Gartner, we just did some work with them. And, you know, they said that, look, 81% of companies are already working remotely or hybrid. And 68% of candidates won't even accept an offer if flexibility is not on, a tape, on the table. In your current workforce, 43% say they'll quit, you know, if there's not flexible arrangements. So I think that adds a huge dimension here that I know we'll talk more about. 100%. Rhea, what did you do um, that really worked for you in keeping your best employees? So I think the EQ that Tony started to talk about is really important and, and, and taking care of the whole person. So, you know, we say bring your whole self to work. And I don't know that we always really employ that, if you will, but understanding what's important to the individual, not just in their work environment, but at their home environment and, and having those conversations with that individual and not saying one size fits all. So knowing what's important, where they need to be, when they need to be, and, and, and making adjustments in that moment without, wait, without them having to come and say, oh, I need this time off tomorrow, or oh, I need this. I think being one step ahead, and sometimes it's money to what everyone said, but flexibility is really keen, but flexibility is different to each person. So having that EQ to know what they want and what they need is, is really, I think is really important. And then in showing that you care. And so that could be, again, what development do they want? So I have some people who it was really important for them to go to face-to-face -face development. So after two and a half years, they didn't, hadn't been able to do that, making sure that they feel like they have a, a path to go develop, even when they may feel like they're doing work that's not that great. To Shavit's point, we've had some people come back to work for us and realize that maybe the money wasn't always great, but making sure that they you're having those conversations. So I think the whole self, having that EQ as a leader to understand and, and not just say, I'm going to do this for everyone, but do the things that really matter to the individuals is really critical. Absolutely. Shavit, um, I'm finding in my conversations with leaders that leaders feel that they're torn in different directions. I mean, there are so many tasks to a leader from the beginning, from the get-go, and then and then now you need to also make sure that your employees have purpose and that they feel understood. And not everyone has. I mean, some people naturally have wonderful, you know, a high level of EQ and very, very good interpersonal skills. But some people are 
don't have that. What do you think? Um, what do you think about that? What do you think leaders should do if they feel that it's just another thing that they have to, you know, put on their plate and make sure that they excel at? I mean, I think that I think that leadership, you know, kind of the shift to resident leadership has happened over the last maybe 10, 20 years. And so I think the expectations of leaders are there. Do they have do leaders have the skills to do it well is a completely different question. But I think that um, I, I think that leaders know that there is an expectation of them when they step up into those roles and leadership skills and management skills tend to be very different. And I think that we you know, there's a lot of work that companies, organizations, individuals teams need to do to really hone those differences between what it really means to engage people as a leader and what it means to manage the day to day. But I will say that I think there's a few things that I'm seeing starting to happen. So I, I, um, I think flexibility is important, but I actually think what people are talking about is they're talking about agency and the ability to kind of make some decisions and make some choices about what's the best way for them to work. And so we need to think about this traditional model that we had for many, many years you know, do, do people need to be productive within an 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. window, within a five-day work week window, or is there a different? are there different ways to think about that? If we do a better job of setting goals and thinking about objectives and key results, are, can people manage things via managing projects like we do more when we do um, tech and agile teams versus thinking about, you know, the way in which you have to, you have to fill up your day? I think the other thing is people have gotten into, um, it, you know, people are, some people are better at communicating what they need and some people need to be asked. And as leaders, we need to be curious, but we yeah. need, so we need to be curious and ask the right questions, but we also need to listen to the answers. And I think the thing that people are looking for, where I think we sometimes fall short is the follow through. So it's not just enough to have the conversation and to say, I've heard you. I know that this is what's important to you. I know this is what you need. But what am I going to do to really be an agent for you and help to help you help myself to follow through on the things that we've talked about and the things that we've and the things that we've discussed? So there's a lot of opportunities for leaders. I mean, leadership development continues to be an incredibly thriving field because there's a lot that needs to be learned. We have, to, to Tony's point earlier, we have a, a, a new generation of leaders coming in. As we have a generation of leaders coming out, we have a new generation of leaders coming in, and they were brought up in a much more digitally enabled world than, than some of us were. And so that means the communication is different. That means the interactions are different. That means that the responsiveness level is different. And I think we need to, all of us need to understand the generational differences in communication, in technology, and be able to incorporate that into the way in which we work. Because I think we just have to remember that we're in this big, this is a big shift. I think the world will never be the, the world we know will never go back to the way it was before. And so if we don't adjust, we will be left behind. And so we've got to think about what are those key areas that we need to think about how we adjust the way we work and how we adjust our mindset. 100%. And I just want to add one more thing to that that I found to be very um, helpful also is purpose. Because there's something about the workplace that goes beyond the role, and especially for the younger generation, um, as we shift in generations, it really is a process of what am I becoming here, you know? And when the what am I becoming here is very clear, and the process is a process of growth that the individual feels, I feel that it extends beyond, you know, the day-to-day, -day, you know, it's hard here, it's hard there, it, and, it, and it extends well beyond what do I 
get paid here or what is my position here? If it is a process of becoming, then in a way we can, you know, look at look through those lenses also at the leaders. You know, if we need to up our skills and up our game, then what are we becoming here? We're becoming better people. Um, if the if the workforce, if the employees are becoming um, something that is far greater than what they were when they joined us, then I feel that it gives um, it gives all of us just uh, more resilience and more um, um, a better glue in our connection together. Um, we we, we yeah. talked about this, Michelle, when we talked about resilience like a month yeah. ago, but I, I'll just say one thing and then we can talk about it. But I think that sure. if the pandemic or now endemic has taught us one thing is that our time here on this earth is short and precious. Yeah. And so we need, we have to really be purposeful about how we choose to live our lives every day. And I think that probably generations that are younger than my generation already know that and they have done a better job of incorporating that into their lives. Um, because we've been conditioned in a certain way. So I think that we've just got to have, we have to have those conversations and understand that people are thinking about their world and their lives in a very different way. It's almost like a judo move, you know? If, if people look for purpose and they look for something that is greater than their job, I guess the question for leaders is, can we provide that in the workplace? Because at the end of the day, you know, there's, you know, yes, you can live on a boat for a while, you know, you can throw everything, but you're saying people are coming back. So if people are coming back, it's not, you know, just just quitting and doing something. It, it lasts for a while. Maybe our job as leaders is to provide that purpose, that growth journey better in the workplace. Rhea, and what do you think? I would argue, though, too, what Shavit said and what you were saying, Michelle, is so, is yeah. so important. We as leaders have to be willing to be flexible to do that. So yes. I mean, I know we flexibility can mean so many different things. But if if it would be easy to say, oh well, they're not working as hard because they want to have purpose, or they it's really important for them to do outside of, of of work hour things that would or projects outside. If we aren't going to be nimble and agile to work with them and see that, it, it, because that's an assumption that's not necessarily accurate, right? A lot of us grew up in this era that you had to work 100 hours to be doing a good job and progress your career. And that's not to say that the this, this younger group or the people coming back who want more purpose aren't working hard. They're working differently. And so yes. I think we have to adjust. Yes. what we think that looks like and and what that might, might be and uh, honestly the time i spent at the college opened my eyes to something i never would have had had i not had that opportunity but we are cha we're helping change the communities we live in through some of the work we're doing and that that can create purpose as an example but we had to change the mindset of 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 spending time and resources from an enterprise into an, a community partner and I think we're needing to do more of that and not make assumptions that someone's not working hard because they're not working 100 hours. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. Um, Tony, we all talked about workplace flexibility. And, and I want to bring it, you know, down to the day to day. Give me an example of what it looks like for you in your work environment um, in terms of workplace flexibility these days. We sort of approach it from uh, two point of views. One is informal flexibility. And I think that's more cultural. That would say that if Rhea uh, has a son or daughter who's going to have a piano recital at four o'clock, that their company supports her uh, taking time to be there for her son or daughter's important event. 
Um, that doesn't take much in terms of policy. It doesn't take much as far as structural change. It just makes it just takes a caring culture that said, of course, if you need to take your mother to the doctor uh, today at two o'clock, you can do that. So I, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, do we have a workplace that, you know, supports the notion of informal flexibility? Um, I tell uh, the story to all of our people about our CEO. Um, our CEO grew up sort of in the Jamie Dimon, Sandy Weil era, um, where being in the office all the time. But I, I say, look, you know, Frank coaches his son's baseball. He coached his daughter's baseball. He leaves at three o'clock, you know, once or twice a week. And he doesn't miss a game, you know, because I want them to hear that, you know, that you know, our CEO believes that, you know, our culture of informal flexibility is alive for everybody. So I think that's one. Two is then you get to formal flexibility and that's where we've all developed, you know, approaches and they're not all the same, but, you know, for us, um, we said, look, be in the office the majority of the time. Majority in our case would be three out of five days. Um, and that's kind of where we started. Uh, that, you know, allowed us to, you know, attract talent uh, because they were asking uh, and also allows us to sort of, you know, feel uh, our people internally's uh, desire to have, you know, something formal. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at right now. We're learning and listening and, and uh, you know, it's not perfect. I, I think, you know, even being at home is no panacea. You know, I think we're already hearing people that, you know, are in jobs that are at home all the time and we do have jobs like that salespeople you know client service people they feel isolated less engaged yeah. uh, not always connected so we're gonna have to figure out how that can work better but i, I think um you know companies are trying to find the balance now between you know approaches that allow flexibility but also drive productivity and i don't know that anybody's figured it out perfectly but we're all testing and learning and I'd love to hear from others if, if they've, you know, sort of cracked the code on that. But uh, it's uh, it's a work in progress. But I think you have to be all in on both informal and formal uh, if, if you're going to be competitive. Rhea, I want to ask you what's your take on this. But before um, I do, I want to remind everyone that has joined us that we are very much looking forward to any comments, any questions that you have. Talk to us. We're here to talk to you. So, Rhea, what's your uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, so I think we're very similar to what uh, to what Tony has done is the three three out of five days. But I think one the informal piece that we're playing with um, that I would I would add is it doesn't mean it's the same office. Right. So so that, you know, I'm going to my my kids go to college at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'm going to be out there. We have offices out there. And instead of flying back and forth, if I'm going to be out there two weekends, my boss said, hey, just be out there. Just go to the office there. And and so I think people are starting to take advantage of that with. So the, so the boundaries of the three days is, is stretching from. And now it's not a policy, to your point, Tony, about formal, but that has shifted in some of our recruiting opportunities. And that's and you know to be able to say you have flexibility of what office you'll have a home office but you have flexibility. And then we've even taken a step further to say, we're gonna look at an average over a month. And so maybe there's one week you're in every day because that's warranted. And then the next week you're only in one day and and, by, and then the split. And so by looking at it at a month view, it, you get to be an average so you can you have some flexibility to pull the different level levers for individuals, if you will. 
Um, and so then, and then we're not looking at specific timeframes. So we, we try to get rid of some of those uh, really formal boundaries that you would look at, like what does a day mean? Cause we had people asking, well, do I just badge in? And we're like, be professional. Like if you need to be there from eight to 12, great, then go home and finish work. I mean, so trying to have yes, formal, but also to the cultural piece and informal, but adding informal into the, the boundaries of the formal. And um, having recently switched companies, that has made a huge difference as I've been trying to recruit people personally and what we're seeing in our numbers. I love that. I love that. And Shavit, I'm um, um, going to you with a question um, asked by Julianne here, and she is asking, what strategies have you seen help enable your leaders with uh, EQ? So I want to go back to that and just answer Julianne's question. What do you think? What have you seen? What strategies have you seen that help those leaders that were really struggling with their EQ? So the good news is that EQ can be developed over time. Um, and so I'll start with that. Doesn't mean we always do it well, but the good news is that as you get older, you build, you, you, hopefully you build your EQ and, and, it, and it gets better over time. We, um, one of the things that we've done is we went from just looking, is, is creating some accountability for the behaviors that um, feed into EQ and then creating some programs and having dialogue and talking about it and finding the best people in the organization that lead by example. So I'll, I'll break it down. So things like really also having competencies that look at the how and really set expectations for how leaders should behave and what does it mean to listen? What does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be self-aware? What does it mean to you know um, be composed and manage your stress and tension in a composed way when you're with yourself and with others? So we've incorporated those elements into our um, core behavior success model. And we did it, by the way, not just for leaders, but for the entire organization. So there are those aspects, the how aspects that are for everyone. And then there are specific ones that are that are for leaders. That's one of the things. And then we really, um, so so I'll give an example. In one of the functions that I was supporting, we, we every month or every other month when we had kind of a town hall, we would showcase one of those behaviors and we would break it down and find two or three people who were exemplars in that. And we would talk to them about what they do and how they implement it and what examples they have. Because there's, it's one thing to sit in a classroom and understand EQ and go through the model. That doesn't help anybody really develop EQ. Developing a sense of self-awareness and, and learning how to self-monitor, that takes years of work and, and years of reflection and the ability to create space for that to happen. But by showcasing leaders who have done it really well and hearing their journey hearing what they've tried, where they failed, where they've succeeded, that that, that example is a beacon really, um, helps people have some real tangible tangible examples. And then we challenge them, right? We challenge them to think about it. We try to create forums where we have dialogue. We have a, um, we have a forum called Moody's Moments That Matter and we have brought in speakers that talk about EQ and that share examples. And we, we have other leaders that share that. And we just try to create a community of practice around it without necessarily saying, welcome to EQ 101. Um, and just really you know, thinking about what are the elements of EQ we want to infuse into our culture, into our programs, and into our processes. And and it, it goes back to that process of becoming and our job you know, as mentors once we are leaders, because that EQ factors 
factor goes well beyond the workplace into people's personal lives in the way they handle their relationships, in their accountability, in the way they do things. And so it is a process of becoming better. And I wonder if the current times sort of, you know, push us out of the way we've done things for many years to really look and evaluate at the way we do things um, and see if we can do things differently. And Tony, I'm going to uh, turn Maria question, Maria's question here to you. She's asking, you know, she's taking it back to a really practical level. She's asking, well, how can we handle um, count of hours or extra hours without a time frame? What is your experience with that? You know, I'm, I'm uh, struggling a little bit. Maybe uh, if we get uh, one of the others who sort of understand the context of that, I'm not sure I completely understand the question. So I think what she's asking is, um, what can we do, uh, like what can organizations do to think about, like if, you're, if it's not a defined time frame, how do you know if people are, are working and, and who's going above and beyond and who's kind of putting in the time? Because I think sometimes, we get into a place where we lead by anecdotes and somebody hears one example of somebody who's doing it like this and then we apply it to everyone or somebody or people are working extra hours and they feel like it's not necessarily happening. I think that's what she's asking. And it goes back to the accountability factor. It goes back to becoming more than the employee that just clocks in the hours. How do you bring impact to the workplace um, in terms of quality and not necessarily being micromanaged uh, in terms of your hours. So basically, we're, we, we appreciate our employees and we trust them to the point of being able to do that. Ria, you have something to say yeah, about that? I think, I think Shavit said something really important previously, though, is it's around outcomes, right? And so there's a responsibility on the company's part, but also the employee's part it, to yes. really be able to say, here are the outcomes. So the manager and the employee being able to define those outcomes of what, what has to get done. And so if those outcomes are getting done, does it really matter the time? I think that that's the, the time boundness of what we're of what we're seeing, the shift in the industry. But it, how do you see if you're doing more? Well, then you'd have more outcomes. And so I think sometimes we forget as employees that it's we, we have an onus also to be communicating what our outcomes are, demonstrating what the outcomes are. And then as managers, accepting that and not having the anecdotes that Shavit was just talking about. If you're an active manager, you should know if your people are delivering results, right? And I mean, for years, I'm a Generation Xer, and so I didn't never loved the confinements of a, of, of a company. But if I was getting work done, I didn't care how much I was working, right? Like if I felt good, if I liked the work, if I felt like I was appreciated. So it's this delicate balance, but both managers and employees own that balance, I think. And we see them in terms of, so we see them in terms of their outcome, and not in terms and, and what they produce and the quality of what they produce, not in terms of, oh, you've worked from this time to this time right. uh, because because, you know, it doesn't matter. And of course, um, I agree with you, Esther, that um, family comes first. And I think Tony's example with the baseball was a perfect example to, to that. You know, it's one thing to talk about work life balance and it's another thing to just be a person as a leader, you know, and understand the the employee as a whole and that they have baseball games and they have a life and that the more we align with that, the more they align with us. And Shavit, one of the things that we talked about on our LinkedIn Live, we talked about mirroring, right? So, you know, how people do what what you do, you know, if we care, they care. If we align with their goals, guess what happens? They align with our goals, you know? If we are listening 
to them, they listen to us. And so, you know, creating that impact with employees, it's not, you know, scientifically, you know, uh, uh, complicated. These are not complicated things. What you want from others, you have to first of all do yourself as a leader, and then, you know, before you know it, they do it too. Um, you know, can I just add one thing, um, Shia, yeah. which is that with all of this, when we talk about flexibility and we talk about yeah. kind of changing some of the paradigms that we thought were kind of a done deal, right? The constructs that we've set up for ourselves since the 1950s, and we've just assumed that they're gonna last forever. But there's always been a contract between managers and employees. And, and I think we have to remember what that contract is, which is if you're here uh, to, to do these things, and these are the things to do, that you have to do, and good managers will work to create goals together with their employees, and that's a whole other LinkedIn Live. Um, but what happens is then I, as the employee, am accountable for doing the things that I've committed to doing. And my manager is responsible for helping me if I'm off track or if I'm not doing those things to be able to create a dialogue and a conversation about where we need to course correct. So as we shift to a world where there's more agency and more flexibility, it's gonna be more important than ever for managers to really understand not how to micromanage, because that's not what, like that would be completely in the opposite in the wrong direction, but how to help somebody create that structure and work within these new paradigms and concepts. And then if they're off track to have that, to have that conversation, this is why when we measure performance, it's have, it's not just have you met your goals. Like you're, you know, the people who excel and exceed are those that take their goals and transform them to take them to the next level. And if you're thinking, if it's just about doing what the company's asked me to do and then I'm not, then I'm at my baseline. But if you want to advance and you want to, there is still a contract about when you demonstrate certain things in a certain way. Now that doesn't mean you need to kill yourself and work 20 hours a week. There is a way, there is a way to do that. But I think that we, we have to remember that in whatever way this world changed, the role of managers becomes even more important. The role of leaders becomes even more important or else it'll just, you know, things start to fizzle and, and walk away. So the accountability and holding people accountable for what this contract is has never hasn't gone away and in fact now it will need to be stronger than ever yeah and you know that's why um the policy's clear let's just say three out of five but the principles and expectations are really what you want to define or help define for people because that's when you know it really comes down to okay how do i actually operationalize that three out of five you want it to be done in the way that you know many of you have described so i, I think um you know, being clear on laying out the guidelines in the policy, but being just as clear on the expectations of the manager, the expectations of the employee and, and what, you know, general guidelines we're, we're looking to apply. I'm thinking to myself that the skills that people need to have these days in order to manage themselves Okay, so historically, people came to work, they were micromanaged. It's just how the world worked, right? And now there's this quick shift in the world and both employees and employers are saying, okay, so from now on, on you manage yourself and we're going to measure you by outcome, but we really need you because we have the great resignation. So we really, really want you to stay. Um, but not necessarily everyone has the skills and the accountability to do that. And so I'm kind of thinking to myself as we're speaking, you know, a lot of times I see um, a lot of it I see on social media also that this is not necessarily the age of accountability these days. I see a lot of people 
rolling blames on other people, saying that other people are toxic, excusing themselves from responsibility, and um, not necessarily being as accountable as we need them and to be at this point. So do you think people can actually do it? Tony? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Look, I think, um, you know, you said it well on mirroring, you know, if we treat people with respect, we get respect. We treat people like adults, they behave like adults. I, I think, you know, there is an element of trust that needs to be greater probably now more than ever. Um, there'll be some times when we're, you know, blown away how well it works and other times we might be disappointed. But I think that, um, you know, we, we've got to, um, you know, also recognize this is a big change. Uh, people have been through a lot. You know, it's not gonna happen overnight. You know, this is gonna evolve a bit. We have to have patience. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear what, you know, my colleagues are hearing about what their return office rates are. Um, I think that, you know, we're somewhere in the 60, you know, percent, 65% rate, but some companies are in the 30% rate, you know, so it's uh, it's not easy and it's going to take time and we, we have to be patient as we work through this. But I think ultimately we'll get there. I'm really encouraged by, you know, jump to sort of um, generations for a minute. We just welcome 500 college graduates who make up, you know, what is it now, the Gen Z population. And uh, they were so excited to be in the office um, and, you know, we'll talk about what it takes to get them in the office. But, you know, many of them said, hey, I missed two years of my college experience. Yeah, yeah. I am. I want to be around people. I want to be around a network. I want to socialize. And, uh, you know, I'd also say that, you know, clearly the EVP uh, that we all have our own employer value proposition needs to be flexible and adjusting because, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think they love a great office and they love great food, you know, so we're kind of learning, you know, that your EVP is such that people don't want to go to an office that looks like it's 1975 yeah. and, you know, amenities like, you know, food have now risen sort of on the list. So I don't, know that, I don't know what that means or says, but that's what they told us. And that's what they say they love coming for because they get great meals. <laughs> yeah. First of all, whatever works. Whatever works. Whatever works. So you said sunlight? I mean, look, I think the environment that you work in is is really important. And and um we've maybe taken like, I don't know, I guess when I grew up, like it, it's it's wherever you went into the office, this was your office, this was your space, it was a cubicle, or you had a hotel space, or you worked in out of three different offices and you figured out how to make it work because nobody was talking about it. You just like shut your mouth, grinned and bear it, and moved on. And that's okay. I mean, I honestly believe that's what Gen X is all about. Like, we just yeah. like, what? This? Okay, we'll move yeah. on. And um, and I think that we have a lot to learn from the generations that are coming in underneath us and the way in which they um, voice their needs and their wants and what psychological safety means to them, what flexibility and agency means to them, what autonomy means. But they also have a lot to learn. And we have to create that balance between those two things. Just like we learn from the generate, we learn good things and maybe not great things from what came before us, it's, it's the same thing. But it is our time really to pay it forward and, and help to create resilience. Look, we've we've incorporated some programs and, and we have a pilot, a return to office pilot going, because we didn't want a mandate and we didn't, and, and for us, it was really about, you know, let's start with maybe some anchor days. Let's make sure that people are coming in and having those meaningful connections and interactions so that they can remember what it's like to have social interaction and not kind of to sit in a, you know, abandoned bedroom all day and, 
um, you know, just talk at a, at a computer. And, and so like really creating those meaningful engagements has been part of our strategy. But we also have um, a work from anywhere program. So for two weeks out of the year, you can choose to work from anywhere you want to. I worked for two weeks out of Aruba. It was amazing. It was like an incredible way to do all of the things I needed to do and be productive, but also spend time outdoors and outside and create balance in my life. And I think that many people take advantage of that program. So we we have lots of different ways in which we've incorporated it, but for us, we're running things more like a pilot and trying different things in different offices because we want to hear about people's experiences and we want to, like for coming back to the office isn't about productivity, it's about connection. And yeah. when you have better connection, you have better engagement. And when you have better engagement, you have better productivity. So ultimately, like all, all of it is, of course, very intertwined, but um, we want to make sure that we're bringing people back for the right reasons and that, you know, they're not spending their day on a Zoom screen in the office with long commutes. I mean, the commuting time is one of the greater dissatisfiers that people have in, in every generation. I, it yeah. takes me, if I'm 15 miles away from the office and it takes me an hour and a half to get there. Like yeah. that's, that's a, that's that's difficult um and so thinking about how we have integrated our work and our life over the last few years when we've been at home and more accessible to our families makes it very difficult to all of a sudden spend every day in the office so we're testing different things out we're listening to people we're looking at what other companies are doing and i think this is part of organizational eq which is really creating a level of self-awareness and and to your point Tony about the EVP, what is our, what for every company is your employee value proposition and what, you know, um, why do people come here and why do people stay here? Yeah. The other thing, Michelle, I would say just to, to play off of what Tony had started and, and, and what Shavit said, we, the, the different generations and how, and how to integrate. One of the things we've been trying to do similar to pilots, but not on workspaces, they have a, this new generation has a different way of learning. So how can we capitalize on that? Yep. and help them be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. So um, part of the so we've been looking at ways to say, how do you take and help them learn some of the cultural norms, but also teach us maybe where we have to adjust some of those cultural norms, right? But one example, I, I lead learning. And so we're using some of our new folks to do avatars, but we put them on certain projects that would be around, what does it mean to come back to work? And yes. so we're hearing and learning from them. They're building these avatars. Some of them are, you know, are like, oh, let's go do virtual reality. And at first we're like, oh, virtual reality. But going back to what Shavit had said earlier, it has helped us with practicing empathy. Yes. And so, but that the, the the effect on the individuals as that are newer to the organization, we're learning from them. But then they're also learning from a project. It's really hard to get these people to do this work. Well, what's your stakeholder engagement? Well, well, why can't they just do what, what I'm telling them to do? Okay, well, you got to work with them. So through the work, and we're almost intrinsically helping them learn some of the things that, to Shavit's point, they have to learn. But then we're learning from them. Uh, at the same time and being open to it. So avatars, getting them to do little snippets of microbrose learning that not everybody else would like. They, they don't have as much of a need to be face-to-face -face unless it's a social thing or there's food involved. or So I mean, everything they're saying, but being, being willing to turn on its side how we necessarily do work and engage people too in, in some of our BAU and using it in a learning on both ends, right? For, for the company, for the leaders, but also for the individuals, I think has been one of the creative ways we're trying to um, engage as we come back to the workforce or and to the, the workplace. And I love how you're talking about it in terms of a process. And one of the things I think we need to keep in mind is that none of it is linear. You know, the learning is not linear. 
We don't know the outcome of the learning. We're exploring. The change is not linear. We don't really know what the workplace would look like in three years because when we talk about a shift in generations, you know, I just want to remind you that a lot of them, um, as advanced as they are in technology and grew up in this, you know, in this technological environment, use uh, uh, written planners. And I can never understand why. And like Tony said, they want to be back in the office and be connected. So none of it is linear. And, and I love uh, what we're saying about we're learning, we're teaching, we're mentoring, and we're collecting information and trying to figure this out because we don't really know if the workplace would change one way or another over the course of the next 10 years. It's very hard to to predict. But I want to talk a little bit more about the challenges of working with uh, the newer generation, because we're talking about, you know, us teaching them, them teaching us new things. Um, Tony, what have been your, if you were to define your three most challenging aspects of working with the newer generation, um, what would you say that they are? You know, I'm probably going to uh, turn that question around a little bit only because I look at the um, opportunity with the next generation is especially for our business you know we have 24,000 technologists and uh, many of them you know we're uh, helping them grow a digital skill set uh, the new generation are digitally native you know they come to the workforce on day one with these digital skill sets that you know we never could have imagined uh, you know somebody with you know so little time uh, in a company has had so in, in many ways it's knowing what you're getting you know, you're getting, you know, a different skill set. And for all of us who every day, you know, we're, we're struggling to find talent in this marketplace of technologists and digital skill sets, um, the colleges and universities now are going to be an amazing supply mm. of a new skill set that, you know, is emerging in the workforce and one that we all need in greater, greater supply. So I, I'm really encouraged and it goes back to, okay, and then how do we cultivate that? You know, you have this digitally native knowledge, but they don't know how to operate yet, right? In a corporate setting or in a business setting. So how do we, you know, really sort of move them through a development experience where you can leverage that skill set on day one, but you can also, you know, bring them along at the right pace. So I, I think the whole, you know, onboarding, the whole, you know, sort of orchestrated learning is going to have to be, you know, to a much greater degree, but the payoffs is going to be tremendous uh, when I think about, you know, the skill sets that they're bringing. Um, I think they also bring a better um, sense of what we're talking about. You know, we did a, we did an assessment of our top 300 leaders and we compared them to the competencies uh, of inclusive leaders, you know, leaders with high IQ and we were able to kind of create this mosaic of, okay, where are the gaps on the skills? We did the same thing with, um, you know, a group of uh, first and second year analysts. And surprisingly, they had, you know, higher scores on some of the skills in the EQ range than, you know, some of our leaders. Uh, so, you know, sort of knowing that, that they come in, you know, to the workforce a lot more socially uh, understanding the world, you know, definitely grew up in a more diverse, you know, an inclusive environment. And, uh, you know, that, that's been, uh, that's been a real, you know, wonderful, uh, to see this generation sort of embracing, you know, things that we've all been kind of working at for a while. So, you know, I, I suppose those are challenges, but I actually think they're, you know, even greater opportunities. 
I love that. Ria, what has been your experience? What has been challenging or very rewarding for you? Yeah, I would agree with Tony. I think it's both. But one of the things is we've been doing some onboarding that we we needed. And this is going to be sound very transactional. They are so digitally enabled. But what sometimes our technologies are not matching up with what the technologies are of the university. So, right. So they're on Google. And they're like, why can't you use Google Drive? Most corporations aren't on Google Drive, right? Like, I mean, it's silly as it sounds. And we had this heated debate at the college when I was there on just this topic, because I'm like, are we really preparing them? Should we have, should we be partnering more with colleges to prepare these students for some, uh, as they come into the workforce for some of the changes or should the corporations be changing? I mean, so I think you have to ask those questions. So, um, but one of the other ones that we, I would say we have found is, because they're so digitally enabled, because they have their lovely phones, right? Uh, everyone thinks about a phone, they text. Sometimes we've had to do, in many cases, um, customer service phone skills or even basic phone skills because mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, when you're on a conference call, you know, they're, they're used to being on, on calls that are Zoom and, you know, the Hollywood squares, um, like all of us have been for the last couple of years, but re-engaging in how you have an actual phone call and, you know, in my world, there's people who talk to regulators. So we've had to say, here's how you talk to a regulator. Here's what you don't say to a regulator. You know, back when I entered, you had to go, how do you eat in the corporate dining room? No longer do you need to talk about that as much as you need to have some of these other things. And it's not because they're not knowledgeable. They haven't had to do it. Yes. So what I would say is there's there's no, there's no judgment. But what we've had to push ourselves to ask the question is, what are some of those things that people may not have had? to do or or use that skill and then what's our expectations because of you know it might it was very different when i worked for microsoft than it is working for a financial services company right so it learning some of those um the just the how to in business and making sure they have a chance to practice so back to one of the things we we employed um virtual reality like i never thought i would say virtual reality for performance reviews is really important but we have one that you can choose. Are you doing virtual reality? Are you in? Um, are you are you doing it geographically dispersed? So are you doing it on a video of a conference call? Are you doing it on a telephone? Are you doing it face to face? How do you receive it? Give and receive constructive feedback in those those uh, mediums. Well, now you can go and practice. So if you're someone who is a manager and you've never done it, you can practice. But now we also have these in employees that can do it. So we've started to use some of that more differently to practice phone calls as one example. So I, I think it's about being creative and not making assumptions that people don't know how to do it. But have they had to use that skill or have they had to really uh, exercise that muscle? I love that. Not to assume anything when you mentor and how important mentorship is. And sometimes it's hard for us to realize what they don't know, what the newer generation doesn't know or didn't practice as many of them started their new workplace remotely through the pandemic and just didn't get those skills or exposure or mentorship. Right. Even, I mean, even my son, who's, he's an army ROTC gentleman, but his first two years of college, he never went to a class. Yeah. Face to face. Yeah, And so he, he, this summer, they have asked them all to come back early because they want to take through what they expect and how to behave yep. as an ROTC officer on campus. Yes. Yes. And, you know, so it's the care and feeding and whatever it is we have for, for across all, all, all levels, if you will. 
hundred percent. Um, Shavit, I'm going to, uh, turn Julianne's question to you. She's asking, how are you handling the challenge of bridging the gap between the generations? Oftentimes the older you are means more tenure. Gen Z looks for mobility, fast growth. How are you establishing development and mobility while also supporting or retaining tenured talent? So, um, first of all, we need to stop using phrases like pay your dues and that, you know, you need to have these 12 kinds of experiences over 20 years before you're even allowed to touch this kind of activity. And, and I think we need to, so, so it starts really with, with mindset and dialogue. It's one with understanding some of the ways in which different generations think and act and what's important to them, right? Like what, what, is, what gives purpose, what gives meaning um, to different generations. And we do that through, we have generational BRGs um, that um, really bring different people together and they talk about those things, but it also is incorporated, at least for us at Moody's, in the way in which we make decisions and specifically in the way in which we collaborate. So for example, when we make ratings, there's a place for, for a voice for every single person to have an opinion. And so what does that mean? That means that the skill that's most important is critical thinking. And, um, and so that's the skill that we focus on, on building in terms of thinking about that. It's not just the rating part, it's, the, it's the, the critical thinking, which then you can apply to multiple things because we've got to think about agile skill sets, not just honing and becoming an expert in one particular thing. And that's the difference, I think, in terms of, um, you know, um, I, I think that's one of the biggest differences in generations in terms of I can do that and I can do that and I can do that, yes. Um, so let's talk about what it means to do this well and what it means. And if you've got new ideas, where are the spaces to incorporate and innovate and transform, but where are the spaces to actually deliver and continue to do the things that we need to get done today. So we have to balance present. We have to balance future. We have to listen and understand. And, um, you know, I think the other thing, and, and, and both of you, both Tony and Rhea mentioned this in terms of, in terms of college, um, and I even think high school, because we're going to see that more and more people will start to enter the workforce without college. They're going to see the liberal arts education as ha adding less value to their ability to be successful mm -hmm. in a tech role or even in another job because the skills, I think some of what you learn in college today, I think that our, our higher education institutions need some reckoning to do to understand where the workplaces are going and how work is transforming and are they really preparing a generation of new leaders in the new workforce or are they just kind of going through the motions of the prerequisites and the things that they've always done. So we've got to make things relevant. We've got to have more dialogue. We've got to, you know, really think about the skills that are that can cross over, that you can learn, um, and that you can apply in multiple places. And then the processes, the programs, the things that we have in place have to reinforce all of those things. We can't just give it lip service. Um, but it does start with listening and dialogue, like all of the things that we've been talking about today. And it's so um, similar in a way for both groups, the the newcomers to the work, workforce, the newer generation and, um, you know, our generation that has been there for many years and, and, and leaders, et cetera, um, in terms of learning new things, in terms of um, um, doing things in a different way and learning new skills. And and um, I'm almost thinking, Shavit, that it's not just the higher education, it's also the schools. And if there's one thing that I'm thinking to myself is important for everyone on this journey from a very young age all the way to almost retirement, it's accountability. And taking that accountability to learn and learn and learn and become, like we said, a process of becoming, becoming better, 
um, by learning new things um, every day. If I asked you guys to give one piece of advice to a Gen Z coming into the workforce these days, the best advice you can give, and then one piece of advice to a leader who is leading their team through the um, current times, what would um, those pieces of advice be? We'll start with you, Tony. I think for the Gen Zs, it's, um, you know, many of them are sort of coming from a system where uh, individual performance, you know, has been key uh, for them. I, I would give them the advice that everything from here on out, you know, is about winning as a team and, uh, you know, how you, uh, you know, really bring yourself into the workplace every day to help others bring your best self every day. You know, I, I, I told them, I said, you know, that even means preparing yourself. You know, are you your best? Did you take your one hour out of the 24 that you deserve to make sure that, you know, whether it's a jog in the morning or whether it's yoga or whether it's, you know, mindfulness, whatever it, it, it takes for you to come into the workplace as your best um, is, is going to help you and, and your teammates. So that, that would be uh, that would be my advice. What was the second part? To leaders that are leading their teams through the current times. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, internal mobility. Um, you know, if you think about what most companies are not great at uh, is really, there's a gold mine of incredible internal talent. If you think you want to sort of beat the great resignation, one of the best ways to do it is, you know, really have a much more robust internal mobility system where you can really recognize uh, promote, appreciate, you know, all the great people that you have. Um, and if you do that, you know, you'll have less people leaving and, you know, this great resignation we talked about will be less. So in, internal mobility, go, go mine the gold mine that's out there. 100%. Rhea, one piece of advice to a newcomer and one piece of advice to a leader. You bet. So I would say in some ways it's it overlaps. So I would say be willing to engage, be willing to listen and learn and share. And so I, I think that goes both ways for all of them, because I think if you're willing to engage, you're willing to listen, if you're willing to learn and share your knowledge, we'll learn, we can, we can really make it work together. Um, for leaders, I would say that exemplifies it and be in, in the learn piece is really key because as leaders, we don't know everything. And, mm -hmm. and to everything we've talked about, we can learn and we can really be, make better choices in that. And I could not agree more than with what Tony, emphasize what Tony says, because Tony, I mean, the internal mobility, it, it will solve a lot of the issues that we have just been talking about today. Shavit? Um, so I'm going to give the same advice to both leaders and to generation coming in. Um, I, I'll start by saying, so three things, be curious. So ask, don't mm -hmm. assume, you know, really make sure that you're asking, and it goes in both directions. Be bold. So challenge paradigms and think about, are there other ways to do this? It's okay to have an idea that doesn't resonate and doesn't, you know, go forward, but be bold in your thinking and then be gracious, be gracious to each other. We need to, in order to get out of this better than how we came into this, we need to give each other grace. And that applies to whether you're a leader or you're just coming into the workforce or you've been working for 15 years and you've got another 15, 20 years to go. We need to assume positive intent and be gracious. And, um, and, and just if we treat each other in that way, we can solve almost any problem we have to solve. And I like that. I love that optimistic uh, approach because we are in this together. The world has changed 
so drastically. But if we look at it as we have all of us together as a growth opportunity to learn new skills, to up our game when it comes to our EQ, not just the workplace would be better, but our lives would be better. So maybe these are sort of our growth pains um, in becoming more mindful in every aspect of our lives. Thank you all so much for joining me today. It's been such a wonderful hour with all of you. So Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Ria. Thank you, Shavit. And thank you, everyone who joined us today. We enjoyed it. Thank you, thank Dr. You. Rosen. Thank you all. Thank you, everyone.